0: were three ordinary women on what seemed like a simple mission to find a film they liked one where women got something to do and not just look pretty or be murdered which to be totally honest has complicated matters a bit welcome to flicking yes it sounds a bit rude that's the joke Hello
1: and welcome to flicking, our monthly tootle around one of our favourite films. I am joined as ever by Yosra Osman. Yosra, hello. Hello. Cheery as ever. I wish I had Yosra's positivity and energy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Not all the time. <laughs>
0: And Hannah Dunleavy. Hello, Hannah.
2: Hello. It always
0: makes me laugh when we're on a Zoom call together, because Yosra and I, actually, I think if I opened my window and shouted loudly enough, you would probably hear me.
1: (laughs) I don't know that that would help the audio quality for the listener, though, Hannah. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) My Wi-Fi's gone down. I'm just going to be shouting in the background in Yosra's. (laughs) That's what I sounded like on this week's podcast. Anyway, (laughs) technical difficulties aside, Hannah... You gave us shitloads of homework for this I episode did, yeah. of Flickin. So yeah. tell us, what did we watch and why do you love it?
0: So this time I picked a film which is not only the last in a trilogy of films, what an arsehole, <laughs> but it's also a film about a pandemic and a war for which I can only <laughs> apologise. I don't know if either of you noticed that the last film I picked ended with the line, your son will never even know your name. And this one ends with the line, son will know who was father. So what can I say? I have issues. Did you plan
2: that? <laughs> no, no <laughs> well, that not very, in... Great levels of organisation there.
0: The proof of the pudding
1: will be in what Hannah picks next and whether it leads on to that. Uh, the first forty seven years of my
0: life planned that. But yeah. <laughs> so, War for the Planet of the Apes, the third and maybe the last, who knows? in the confusingly titled franchise that began with Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which should probably have been called Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, continued with Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which should probably have been called War for the Planet of the Apes, and rounded (laughs) off the story of Caesar in War for the Planet of the Apes, which should probably have been called, shit yeah, Planet of the Apes. (laughs) But there you have it, I don't make the rules.
1: I think you should make the rules. (laughs)
0: Now, I know that Mickey watched all three films because she's good like that. No pressure, Yosra. How many did you watch?
2: I've watched all three.
0: Oh.
2: I had seen the first one before, way back when it came out, and was it 2010, 2011? Mm. But I hadn't seen Dawn or War. So thank you for the homework, but also thank you for the trauma. Because that second film, Dawn of the Planets of the Eight, when it started with if you've got a cough or a fever, stay at home and messages <laughs> about quarantine, I thought, oh my goodness, what is this?
0: Absolutely. As Mickey said, that map that launches off at the end of the first one, where you see the pandemic spread around the world, is really impressive.
1: It's such a great shortcut of showing how rapidly contagion can spread, as we all know.
0: Now, for anyone who didn't watch the first two before they watched this, here's a quick summary of the trilogy, which will surely not do it any justice. A scientist working on a cure for Alzheimer's creates a virus which makes apes very clever and humans very dead. (laughs) Caesar, a chimpanzee raised by humans, becomes the leader of an increasingly smart bunch of apes who head off to live in the Redwood Forest north of San Francisco. His attempts to coexist with a band of human survivors is complicated by the fact that most humans won't trust apes and most apes won't trust humans. And on that second point, I'd say, fair do's. Yeah. Caesar is played... For anyone who doesn't know by the king of performance capture and we're going to call it performance capture and not motion capture because that is what it is anyway Andy Serkis R.I.P. his knees <laughs> at the start of the third film he's seen off a challenge by Koba probably the second smartest ape on earth who's played by Toby Kebbell and is seen in this film in flashback but he faces a bigger one mad bastard Colonel Kurtz-like McCullough who is played by Who else? Woody Harrelson. So, why I love it. I mean, it gets a head start by being pretty firmly in my wheelhouse. And I do appreciate the Alan Partridge-ness of this list, but I like Apes. I like Planet of the Apes. (laughs) I mean, you know me. I'm all about nuance and existential musing, and that is what Planet of the Apes films are in a nutshell. And while this film is technically sci-fi, and the title suggests it's a war film, And a lot of people will argue it's actually a biblical epic. I think it's nothing so much as a Western and a bloody great Western too.
1: (laughs) Halfway through War for the Planet of the Apes, I was like, no wonder Hannah loves this, it's
0: basically a Western. Exactly, (laughs) a Western with apes. It also looks incredible, both in terms of its location and its effect. And the performances are, to a man, woman and child, excellent. So it's definitely got my name on it, even if big-budget blockbuster is probably my least favourite genre of film. And the final reason I love it, I was actually struggling to articulate exactly what I meant, and then I watched an interview with Steve Zahn, who gives the performance of his career here, and he said making War for the Planet of the Apes was nothing like making a film and everything like making theatre. And I think that kind of gives a sense of what I mean, Matt Reeves has made a bums-on-seat blockbuster here, and yet he's made it look like a craft. And I don't want to shit on other big-budget films because I think there is a place for them. But when some blockbusters use CGI in action scenes to such a degree that they start to resemble computer games, mm-hmm. I'm looking at you, The Hobbit, what they've done here is take the time to create every tiny hair on Morris's enormous pan face. And rather than pour over the script to ensure it's packed with, like, quips and bonmos and cultural references, this film essentially throws dialogue out the window and uses sign language and body language, broken English and whoops and grunts instead. And that's something I find really laudable. And I can't really explain why. It feels like a genuine desire to do something different for the masses. And I think that's worthy of applause. Also, Bad Ape but I'm sure we will get on to that. Before we do
1: get onto to the various cruxes of War for the Planet of the Apes, I have a very important question for Hannah that I, it, it needs answering. Why, Hannah, why do you consistently refuse to call Maurice Maurice and instead
0: call him Morris? I actually think it comes from the fact that when I was at school, when I was about 15, that Levi's advert that had the Joker, in it you, mm. you, you won't remember this. It was a guy who goes in on a motorbike, takes a girl out of work, and they're playing a song called The Joker, which then went to number one. And there's a line in it that says, People call me Maurice. And yes. I had a friend, <laughs> yeah, I had a friend called Maurice, and we all started him calling him Maurice, and he hated it. And I think I actually <laughs> trained my brain never to say the word Maurice again, but yes, so. I thought i might start with the question of you know what genre do you think this is
1: it's such an interesting question which i know people say when they're buying time to think of an answer and i'm absolutely doing that that is totally what i'm doing because i understand why it's sci-fi but it isn't any sci-fi i would normally recognize and i'm not like a huge fan of sci-fi particularly blockbuster sci-fi like you know star wars and stuff is absolutely my generation but yeah can take it or leave it whereas this it's sort of sci-fi meets nature documentary meets study in what it is to be human even though it's about apes and also you know how I feel about David Attenborough and there's loads and loads of incredible touches that are taken from nature about how apes bond and have family units and all of that stuff which is fascinating but action maybe I guess if I was going to put it into any sort of set category it's more mm-hmm. action than it is sci-fi for me
0: yeah
2: it's a whole mixture of stuff i i, I wrote down something like dystopian futuristic sci-fi action hint of western and it actually traditionally i don't like sci-fi or western so That's i nice. i i'm just i'm sorry I, it just normally <laughs> doesn't float my boat but i think this is very different <laughs> I think you have to acknowledge that it is an action film though. It is a blockbuster action film. I don't think you can ignore that. Um, but there are just these other elements of of other genres too. Well, what it is is despite everything I've said, and that's just my
0: opinion about, you know, what it says about other films, it also absolutely loves other films. And you can see other films throughout it. I mean the second episode has got a huge homage to Dances with Wolves in the middle of it when they're hunting the deer. It's basically the bison hunting scene, but then made with deer. This has got bits of Apocalypse Now, which I obviously referenced earlier. It's Mm -hmm. got bits of Bridge on the River Kwai on it. It's got bits of The Searchers in it. I mean, it's got bits of the original Planet of the Apes films in it. It is a film that loves film, and I think that comes across. Even what I said about it actually being more like a theatre piece because Steve Zahn in that interview he says he turns up at work basically and there's a load of people wearing the, the grey suits and grunting and he said it's like being in drama school it's like the first <laughs> day of drama school of everyone just, just doing these exercises in like how to let go and stuff and he's like it's not the exercise it's the whole film that's happening okay I suppose I'm going to stop and say did you like it yeah
1: Yes, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was a brilliant film. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. Had a lovely time. Well, not a lovely time, had a sad and kind of very emotional time, if I'm honest.
2: I really liked it. I'm going to apologise for sneering at you in 2017 when you first mentioned this as one of your your favourite films. But I want to thank you as well because the whole trilogy, I watched it in the last couple of days and I just thought it was so much fun as well as being incredibly emotional. You know, I love my tearjerkers and yeah. there were a few moments in this, but I, um, I just thought it, I thought it was really good fun, really great trilogy. So uh, yeah, I, apologies for 2017. I stand That's corrected.
1: Right. <laughs> I do take a little bit of an issue with Yosra described it as dystopian and she's absolutely right and I totally understand, but fuck me, come on monkey overlords. I just like, uh, like, I think, you know, a planet of the apes, might well be better than what we've got now.
2: I think Caesar is probably one of my favourite action adventure heroes of recent years. Mm-hmm. I just think he is an absolute... I think I wrote an email to you I just said he's a total babe. Yep. I love yeah. Caesar.
0: <laughs> Agreed.
2: OK, let's talk
0: about Andy Circus then, because this film was nominated for the BAFTA for special effects and it didn't win, what Blade win? Runner 2049 won, and it was nominated for the Oscar for Best Visual Effects and it didn't win. And Both of those things I find staggering but Andy Serkis wasn't nominated for any awards and I don't understand why not because Mm -hmm. apart from the politics that comes within people don't really admire they don't have my voice performances, so that, that I'm not saying that this is a voice performance because it's way more than that. And like I say, it's not motion capture; it's performance capture. Everything, every time they flare their nostrils, that's that actor flaring their nostrils. It's incredible to mm. watch. And when you look at the fact that he he's done this and he's playing something that's just like a different, it's a different species he's playing, and nobody acknowledged it. Nobody offered him any even nominations for awards for it. I think it's criminal because I think he's incredible in this.
2: Yeah. I agree. Agreed. And I think, I think maybe there was just a lack of recognition for what it took to put that performance together. I, I think people just see it, they, they assume it's like CGI or something. I don't know. Maybe they didn't really realise how much work went into it from mm. Andy Serkis. But one of the things, I mean, all the apes just, I was astonished with the level of emotion that came through from a single tiny movement Mm. that was just captured so perfectly it really added to the whole just everything about the film for me
1: the nose yeah. twitch that Circus does for Caesar when he's kind of he's he's about to start being rageful. Yeah, it's just full of emotion, and you're like, oh, I know where this is going. I know you 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 know how he's feeling. It's incredible. I've got to say that Hannah and I bumped into Andy Circus at a rally, an anti-Brexit rally, and we ended up stood next to him. And absolutely no offence to Andy Circus because he is phenomenal. Clearly. But he did not look the kind of shape that would be able to do this. Like this yeah. sort of physical stuff. He didn't look like an agile man, is what
0: I'm saying, and he clearly is. I mean, example of when he at the end, when he's running towards the tanker to blow it up, because increasingly as as Caesar develops, he becomes biped. But, you know, in moments of action he quadrupeds. And when he's doing that and running and like stands up to that's Andy Serkis doing that. Like I say, R.I.P. his knees and back. Yeah. God know. knows what
2: they're going to look like. In I'd later be absolutely night. knackered if that was me after just five seconds. It was, uh... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or i get down and I couldn't get back up.
1: <laughs> I'm debating whether I might try to be more
0: quadruped in action because it sounds great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it. I think he's really impressive. I mean, like I say, there are loads and loads of really, really impressive performances in this. I've got to mention Terry Notary who plays Rocket in this and also a lot of background characters and his children he taught to quadruped so they could play the little apes in this he is the world's acknowledged expert on how to move like a monkey and if anyone is interested there are videos on YouTube in which he shows how to do it and I actually gave Mickey's husband homework to learn how to do it and show me next time. Because he seems like the sort of person that could bend down and then stand up again, (laughs) of everyone
1: I know. He immediately started training, Hannah. (laughs) Is he out in the garden? No, he's in Oslo, probably being a monkey there.
2: (laughs) Terry Notarys in a film I don't know if any of you have seen it. it's a it's a film called the square I have
0: seen it yeah, and
2: he is he he does it there and he's absolutely brilliant in it, but he's he's there's a there's a whole scene where they think it's an art exhibition yeah. because he's he's acting like a monkey, but then it gets really really quite realistic and dangerous and it's absolutely terrifying. I think he's incredible. It's probably yeah. the best scene of that whole film,
0: yeah, oh, I definitely is the best scene of that film when he's just behind Dominic West like wow yeah,
2: yeah. It's
0: because see, see, this is the other thing. I think people think that those noises are superimposed. Then they're, they're making those noises. Everything that is happening is down to them. I think the fact that Andy Circus sounds nothing like Andy Circus in this as well. Also, as to the idea that other people are contributing to that performance, or other creatures are contributing to that performance. Okay, so the point I made about dialogue, there is virtually no conventional dialogue in this at all. I think the closest it comes to a long-form conversation is either around the fire when they're talking to Bad Eight, or it's when he confronts Woody Harrelson and they yeah. talk about how the plague has developed. As someone who has problems with their hearing and will eventually go deaf, I think it's incredible that a major blockbuster takes place largely in sign language and also in body language the scene where Caesar's being whipped and Woody Harrelson just keeps doing, and this isn't going to work on a podcast, he just d- keeps doing this, which means do it again. Do it like again. A little head jerk. Do it again. Of, yeah. A mm. little head jerk that says do it mm. again. And everybody knows what it is. and And I just think other films would have put dialogue in there. And this doesn't. This says everybody knows what he means by that tiny head jerk. Do it again. Do it again. Yeah, I find it really impressive because I hope that one day someone will come forward and say, how about we make a film entirely in sign language? And someone Mm -hmm. says, some studio executive will say that's not possible. And they'll be able to point to Planet of the Apes and say, well, they virtually did it. So why can't we?
1: Can we talk about Woody Harrelson? Which I know is one of your favourite subjects anyway, Hannah. (laughs) Big fan. (laughs) Woody Harlson the joy of him is his performances tend to be really really over the top and yet work anyway and Mm -hmm. I think as Colonel Kurtz I didn't even know his real name I'm sorry you said it earlier on but to me I was just like oh my god he's so Colonel Kurtz he is phenomenal it's so believable his backstory is really believable and it's so quickly drawn because obviously we are team ape that goes without saying so his backstory is is so quickly drawn and even though he's almost monstrous Kurt's like there's still sympathy for him I think
0: yeah yeah I mean he is a nutcase oh yeah obviously (laughs) but who wouldn't be in that scenario you are absolutely correct that lovely scene where he's talking to his men and he's shaving his head and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, that that scenes like that really encapsulate everything he is. Without, like I say, without having to like go into any great depth of backstory or whatever. That's this is who this guy is. Mm.
2: I mean, yeah. he's got such screen presence. The first time we see him after he's basically killed Caesar's family and he just does this look in the camera and the camera just goes right close up on his face. He just has all this presence that I couldn't imagine anyone else really doing the role other than him in a way that, yes, he's a nutcase, but as Mickey said, there are points where you actually do sympathise for, for him. And I think that's something else that the film gets really right in terms of character development and the backstories of all these characters there is i went through so many emotions of hating some of them then loving some of them and that they there's just that way to inspire that emotion from the audience it's just it it makes us such a mature blockbuster
0: agreed that's a perfect way of describing it i think yeah yeah nuance is just everything in this i mean in the second one see i think cobra is probably the most sympathetic bad guy that's ever been in cinema yeah and when they're having that conversation i think cobra makes a point which is really really valid which is if we let them get power eventually they're going to come for us and he does that whole he points at all his scars and says human, human work, work human work yeah. human work human work And the nuance in that is absolutely incredible. There is no good guys and bad guys in this because, you know, by the end, Caesar has done stuff that you can't imagine him ever doing at the start. He's become a way darker character than he was at the start. So, yeah, I'm all there for the nuance on it. Okay, I've put it off for as long as possible. I don't think that in any film at all that I can think of, in any film series, a character has arrived 40 minutes into the final leg of it and made such a stir. And I genuinely think that scene where Bad Ape says, and they, I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not going, and then they cut to them all standing outside, and he comes out, and he's got a bobble <laughs> hat and a gillette oh, on, and, and little... he just puts oh. one thumb up. It's one of my favourite things that's ever happened in cinema. It's incredible.
1: Bad Ape is just gorgeous and it's interesting as well because obviously Steve Zane's a comedy actor and to introduce comedy at this stage as well is is a really interesting choice but it totally works you can again that that quick drawing of Bad Ape's backstory that means that you fall in love with him so instantly and you understand why he's a little bit Cowardly, he's, and it, it absolutely comes from a place of self-preservation that is really, really hard won. And he's cute, and he's he's a totally different ape to what we've seen before. He's self-taught. He wasn't there when Caesar let off all the gases, and yeah. that made all the apes really smart.
0: But he has evolved. He's evolved because he's caught the virus off the human. That's why he's evolved. You know, he has had the virus. But yeah, he's taught himself to talk. All of that stuff. Mm. You are absolutely correct. And he's a really tragic character. He spent all this time by himself. Honestly, it's beautiful. When Steve Zan says, like, when he asks, him, he says he's, when his friends died, as Steve Zan says, long time, long time. And everything is in that that minute. And, and because Zan talks in that sort of staccato way, and Bad Ape is a mixture of excited and scared and all of that, the way that he seamlessly sort of turns that all that you would do if you wanted to interrupt a conversation into ooh, ooh, ooh which is the chimpanzee noise is yeah I think it's amazing. He's,
2: he's yeah. a tragic yeah. clown it's
1: yeah. Shakespearean yeah. it's, so good. Yeah. it's yeah. so
0: good
2: and he's also he's just incredibly brave I just love Bad Ape I mean he's seen so many horrors he, he really doesn't want to go back and you just imagine how lonely and scared he's been but for him to do what he does in the film but also just be so cheerful and such a loving presence amongst everybody else it's oh, I just he's, he's a brilliant character and I think yeah. Steve Zane does remarkably well in that role because he,
1: he is their friend immediately he calls them friend and it comes from it comes from that loneliness but he isn't it's not just lip service he's like right okay I'm your friend so this is what friends do for each other and yeah. it's like oh god can we all just be a bit more bad ape please because that's amazing mm-hmm
0: also need to give a little nod to Amir Miller who is Nova in, well who knows what her name is but eventually Nova in this who is I think 13 when she made this and to think that when she not only did she have to create a sense of awe that she's talking to a gorilla when she's actually or not talking because she doesn't talk when she's interacting with a gorilla when actually what she's interacting with is someone in a lot of Lycra. On top of that, she actually also had to do quite a lot of those scenes with no one in them. She had to do them just by herself wow. because I don't understand how the technical stuff works. But sometimes rather than them all being in the same scene together, it was easier to get them to do their individual parts. And that's a really assured performance for someone as young as she is, I think.
1: Absolutely agree with you. What you just said about them having to do those performances individually occasionally like staggering because it's just it's just phenomenal that they did that and it just always feels like they're all together that they're they're humans interacting with apes it doesn't it doesn't feel cgi it doesn't at all
2: i mean i'm just thinking of two particular scenes but where she first meets maurice Um, and i mean that was Beautifully shot. Yeah. Just stunningly shot. And again, it's one of those things. There's not much said that well, there's nothing said between them. And there's not even much conveyed in their facial expressions, but you just sense exactly what's happening. And then she probably inspired the most tears because I heard it that bit and I when she when she gives Caesar the food and drink oh, God. and the doll, mm. that scene. My goodness, again, just Drawing all these tears from me. I just couldn't believe I was watching Planet of the Apes. I just had this stereotypical view and it moved me in so many ways.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And also the scene with the gorilla whose name escapes me Luca when he gives her the flower. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Another one. Absolutely beautiful. Now, while we're on female characters, I, I do feel the need to make a point as a feminist podcast. You know, we're saying, Yay, the apes. And when I watched this with my nephew in lockdown, there was a point at which he, just at the start of the second one, he went, it's supposed to be on the ape side. And I was like, what do you think? And he said, yes. And I was like, that is the <laughs> correct answer. That said, life for women in ape colonies, not great, not great. We have essentially gone from being a vet in the first episode to being the producers of children in the last episode, which isn't great.
1: We do get to wear pretty flowers in our hair, though, and get fridged. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean,
2: what a life.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, they're evolving quite fast, though, so maybe,
0: you know, they'll yeah. probably get equal pay before we do. <laughs> 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 okay, unless anybody else has anything else to say, I feel like this was really successful. Yeah, thank you. Loved yeah. it. Loved all of them. But the, the third one is the best absolutely I mean I think the first one is a bit more of a bandy about you know conventional sci-fi blockbuster the second one I think is quite dark and I quite enjoy it but this one is just the last one is just spectacular I keep saying last one I don't know there might be more
2: I would just say, yeah, if you if you do want to watch it, I'd, I'd recommend watching all three. I did make Joe my my partner. He watched it with me um, last night, the third one. He hadn't seen the first two. Now he's going to go back and watch the first two because he was that impressed with it. So the whole trilogy for me really really works.
1: So a question, Yosra, because Joe hadn't seen the first two, was he still immediately on board with Caesar? Yeah.
2: I mean, I did explain to him the first two before we watched it. I did a terrible job of it. In fact, at the beginning of the third one, thank goodness they give a summary of the previous events because it was much better than my explanation. But I think I was quite biased and I basically told him that Caesar was brilliant. So he knew to support Caesar, but I think he would have done anyway.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Great choice, Hannah. Thank you so much. Hooray! Who's next? Up the monkeys. It's me next. Should we just watch this again? Yeah, we're going to watch <laughs> 2017's War for the Planet of the Apes.
2: <laughs>
1: no, we're actually going to watch, and you know how wang heavy most of my choices are, but we're going to watch Bridesmaids.
2: I love Bridesmaids. Yes, that's I'm a good excited start. already. <laughs> <laughs> Standard issue for all women.